Welcome back to our study of 1 Kings. We are once again in 1 Kings chapter 17. We'll be looking at verses 17 to 24 today. Remember that what's happening right now is that God has brought a drought upon his people, Israel, because Israel has an idolatrous king, Ahab, married to an idolatrous woman, Jezebel. And God had warned his people all the way back in Deuteronomy that if they broke covenant with him, if they were unfaithful to him, that one of the curses that would come upon them, one of the judgments, was that they would experience drought. And so uh, Elijah has told King Ahab that no more rain is going to fall. And God uh, provided for Elijah by a brook. He had ravens who came to feed him with bread and meat, and there was, and he could drink from the brook. But when the brook dried up, God sent Elijah to a widow near Sidon. Now, Sidon was outside of Israel. This was not a Jewish city or a Jewish area, but um, that's where God sent Elijah. And when he met this widow that God sent him to, the widow and her son uh, were about to die. She was getting ready to make their last uh, bit of flour and oil into bread and have their last meal, and then they were preparing to die. But God provided for the widow and her son and threw them for Elijah, and the flour and the oil did not run out. God continued to provide for them. But in this passage today, calamity falls upon the widow because her son dies. And we're going to see what happens in this story, what God does through Elijah, and what that has to teach us. So 1 Kings 17, beginning in verse 17, says, After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. So the calamity, of course, that strikes this widow is that her son dies. So she's already a widow. She's already lost her husband, but she at least has a son until now, and now her son has died too. And she blames this on Elijah. She says to Elijah, uh, you have brought my sins to remembrance. And uh, she says, you know, you have caused uh, the death of my son. So she believes that it's Elijah's presence in her house that has 
perhaps brought God's attention to her sin, so to speak, and has brought about the death of her son. Maybe she thinks having this this uh, prophet, this holy man, this man of God in her house has brought her under special scrutiny from God, so to speak, um, and the result has been uh, the death of her son. And so she's in anguish, of course, uh, at the death of her son, but she blames it on the presence of the prophet Elijah. Now, notice how Elijah responds. Elijah takes her son, carries him up into the upper room where he's been staying at this widow's house. And he prays to the Lord. And and notice what he says. He says, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Now, is that wrong for Elijah to say? Is that blasphemous? Elijah says that God has brought calamity upon this widow and that God has killed her son. Is it fair? Is it true? Is it right for Elijah to say that? It is right. It's not blasphemous. It's not wrong. It's not bad theology. It's true. Elijah knows that there is only one God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And this one God has everything under his control. And so God himself says, for example, in Isaiah 45, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. So when there is calamity, is that calamity outside of God's control? No. God says, I make well-being and create calamity. God also says in Deuteronomy 32, 39, see now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. So God says, I'm the only God, and I'm the one who wounds, and I'm the one who heals. I'm the one who kills, and I'm the one who makes alive. I think the um, ESV Study Bible perhaps uh, brings this out. I think that's what called it to my attention, that it's because he's the only God that all of these things fall under his domain, under his control. In other words, it's not as though there's one God of life and another God of death, right? Or one God who wounds and another God who heals, as you might have in a polytheistic belief system, where this is the God of the harvest, and this is the God of the rain, and this is the God of this, that, and the other thing. No, there's only one God, and this one God rules over all of these things. He is the one who gives life, and he's the one who takes life. We see this lesson um, emphasized particularly in the book of Job. Remember when Job loses so much, and he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. All these things are under God's dominion, in God's control. So it is God who has taken this child's life, the widow's son's life. It is God, ultimately, who has allowed this calamity to take place 
in this family. God, of course, does not do that from um, malice, right? God is not evil. He's not tempted by evil. He never does anything evil. Everything he does is good. But the reality is, as the creator, every life is a gift from him, and the length of every life is under his control, right? It's his to give and his to take away, and nobody can say that it's unjust for a life to be short or to be long. It's God's to give and God's to decide. That can be hard for us to swallow, but, but that's what the Bible teaches us, right? And so um, this woman is, is grieved by the loss of her son. Um, Elijah is bothered by the loss of this widow's son. Notice the way that he says this, right? When he's praying to God, he says, Have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn? Like of all the people whose sons you could have taken, you, you took the life of the widow who, who I'm sojourning with. You know, Elijah is going to uh, say about himself later, and uh, we don't know, maybe he's already thinking, I, I, I'm the only faithful prophet you've got left, and yet the, the widow who's, uh, you know, you're using to sustain me, you took her son, so Elijah is troubled by it. And so he cries out to the Lord, and he asks God, to restore the life of this widow's son. It says that he stretched himself upon the child three times, in verse 21, and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. So on the one hand, you have the fact that God is the one who takes away. God is the one who uh, kills, who takes life. But on the other hand, he's also the one who gives life. He's the author of life. And so, though Elijah knows that God is the one, ultimately, who determined that this young man's life would come to an end, at the same time, he knows that the same God is able to restore this young man to life. And so, he cries out to God and asks God to restore him. And in verse 22, it says, The Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. God restored the life of this son. He restored this young man to his mother, to uh, this widow. Right, so we need to keep both of those things in mind. That yes, you know, God can take life. It's, it's his to give and his to take, but it's also his to give, right? We, we don't want to lose sight of that aspect of it, that God does restore life to this young man. And he, any of us who are alive, it's because God has given us life in the first place. And then notice how the woman responds. Verse 24, the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. So this miracle is confirmation that Elijah is a genuine prophet. And that's not to say that there are not false prophets who uh, perform signs and wonders or 
or or things like that to try to deceive people, right? That's that's an, another category, right? But in this instance, this healing, this resuscitation, right? It's not a resurrection in the sense that he's never going to die again, um, but this restoration to life that God brings about in response to the prayer of Elijah confirms that Elijah is a prophet of God and that what he says is true. And so the, the woman's conclusion about Elijah at the end of this story is supposed to be our conclusion about Elijah at the end of this story. This is supposed to confirm for us that Elijah is indeed a faithful prophet and what he speaks on behalf of the Lord is the truth. Right? That's part of where this story is headed and what this story wants us to conclude. But ultimately, we can't stop there because if you're familiar with the whole Bible, you know that this is not the only story in the Bible like this. And you also hopefully know that Jesus made very plain that the whole Bible is ultimately about him. The whole Bible is pointing toward him. The whole Bible, the Old Testament is leading up to him. The New Testament, of course, is about him. And so this story about Elijah and the widow's son points us toward an even greater figure, Jesus himself, who performed a similar miracle, but in a significantly different manner. Look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. Another story of a widow whose son has died and is restored to life. It says, soon after he went to a town called Nain, in other words, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Now, this story starts in a similar place. Again, you have a widow who has a son, and the son has died. Um, this is her only son, right? And she has no husband to provide for her. So this is an especially tragic scenario, just like it was in 1 Kings 17. But this time, is Jesus himself who has compassion on the widow. But here's the thing to notice. Jesus does not need to pray and ask for God to restore life to this young man because Jesus himself is God. Now, there are times when Jesus prays to the Father about something that he's about to do or whatever, but in this instance, he doesn't do that, and in not doing that, he highlights that he himself is God. He's God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. So he doesn't say, you know, I'll ask 
God to raise you. He says, young man, I say to you, arise. And he doesn't like the apostles do it in the name of Jesus, obviously, because he is Jesus. He's God in the flesh. He is able to raise this young man by his own authority, by his own word, because he is God. He is the one who kills and makes alive. This is him in the flesh. And the people don't quite recognize that, but they do recognize something about what's going on here. In verse 16, they say, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. Was Jesus a great prophet? Absolutely. He was the greatest of all prophets. And he was more than a prophet, because he was God, the Word of God made flesh. But he was a great prophet, like Elijah, but greater than Elijah. The people recognized the similarity, even if they didn't recognize how much greater Jesus was than any other prophet who had ever lived. They said, God has visited his people. God is at work among us through this man, Jesus. That was absolutely true. What they didn't recognize was that not only was God working through Jesus, like he would work through a prophet. He was working through Jesus because Jesus was God, God in the flesh. So God has authority over all of life. And God is compassionate. We see that in in the fact that God heard Elijah's prayer, listened to his voice, and restored the young man to life. We see that in Jesus himself, who is God in the flesh, having compassion on this widow. And we see that God is able to restore life even where he has taken it. And if that's true, is it so hard to believe that if God's own son, who took on flesh, died on the cross if he died on the since he died on the cross for our sin is it so hard to believe that god could then raise him from the dead restore him to life is it so hard to believe that if we trust in him that god will one day raise us from the dead never to die again he is the author of life and he is eternal can he not give to us eternal life if we trust in him he absolutely can praise god